And he said, and my wife is in Korea. My wife is sick. So I said, come, we'll pray. So we prayed. We laid, Dan and I and Graham laid hands on him. And the only word he could say to me was this. He said, fire, fire. I said, where? He said, fire in my back. My back is on fire. He gets healed, completely healed. He's, he's stretching, he's moving. He says, my back is healed. So I said, I, I want, can we pray? So we pray again. And I, I, I don't do this often because I, I don't, I, these things scare me, but I know that's how God operates. But I started prophesying over him. And I said, your wife, I don't know where this came from. And I know it came from God, but I didn't just think it up. I said, your wife is going to lead generations. I see kids being brought up in, in her life. And after we finished praying, I said to him, who is your wife a teacher? He said, yeah, in a way. And I said, what do you mean? He said, she leads a church in Korea. And I said, if she leads a church in Korea, why are you here? He said, I lead a church here. He said, we planted out of Korea here and I had to come to lead this church. So I said, so you lead a church here on the Gold Coast? He says, yes. And I said, your wife leads a church in Korea? And he said, yes. I said, so why did you come here? He said, I, I need friends and I need partners who will help me, and I was hurting, and I had nowhere to go. I said, so how, why, how did you get here? He said, there used to be a church two years ago, two or three years ago, that used to meet in this building on Thursday nights for prayer. I said, mate, you have very luckily nailed this. I said, we meet here fortnightly. You almost didn't make it on time. It would have been shut up shop, but you got here in time. I think maybe God's trying to tell us something. Unbeknownst to me, I... I well, I, I was thinking about it that day, but about two months ago, someone prophesied over me that on the 10th of August, 10th of October, on the 10th of October, I would meet a man that would change my life that God had sent to, it, to this house. Look at the date, 10th of October. I, go, I think God's trying to tell me something here. Then I leave here and I go, I, we, we go to the pub for dinner and I walk into the pub and standing all the way through the pub was this man that I met months ago from Gumtree, standing there in front of me. I walk into the pub gobsmacked. Jess said to me, you didn't introduce me. I said, babe, I didn't have any words. I, there was no way I was, I didn't know his name. I couldn't even conjure up a hello because I was so baffled by this situation that then I got there and I saw him. He shook my hand and he said this. He said, bro, I need to tell you, my life has changed. He said, I'm a whole new person. He said, you have to come meet my wife. So I'm this random guy I've never, I met once. I'm now standing at their kid's birthday party, shaking hands with all these random people. They have no idea. He doesn't even know how to introduce me because he doesn't remember my name. So I'm the gum tree guy as I'm shaking hands. So I said to this guy, show me, show me your, your son. So he gets his son out of the pram. I'm out. I, was, I was so blown away. He said, my life, ever since I met you that day, my life has changed. I wish that I had been able to, I was saying to Dan this morning, I wish that I, I was able to be less gobsmacked and say to him, you know, we were praying for you. That was Jesus who changed your life. You know, I wish I had this amazing <laughs> evangelistic spiel that I could have given him, but I couldn't give him anything. I was so blown away by the love of God that I just, hadn't, I, I just shook his hand and I, I hugged his wife and said, man, I'm so, I'm so happy for you guys. I'm so stoked that your life has changed. But the thing that I want, the reason I wanted to share that is that I didn't do anything spectacular. It wasn't the 
the, the cunningness of my words. It wasn't that I was able to prepare him a good sermon. It wasn't that I had this amazing message. I just went and I loved the guy. I just, I, I wasn't rude and arrogant to him. I just showed the father's heart so simply and his life's changed. Now my prayer changes to father, give him somebody who's better at the evangelistic stuff than I am to show him who you are. Because he's already, the, the, the ground's been tilled now and the seed's been planted. See guys, this life, this Christian life is so much easier than we try to make it out to be. We look at the Todd Whites and the Dan Molers and say, I can't do what they can do. I do that. I look at those guys like, man, they're bigger men of faith than I am. But those small planted seeds are what change people's life. That guy's life is changed, not through me, through God, what God did. And I rejoice in that. Prayer in the little things is so incredibly powerful. We have to be a people that remembers that and operates from that. That takes a lot of my time from my sermon, but I'm still going to go for it. I wanted to recap quickly. I want to recap quickly from what the last two sermons are so that I can, I can lead us into something. I preached uh, about three weeks ago about getting in the boat with Jesus, not standing on the shore and watching, but actually getting in the boat and going out into deeper waters with him. Then I preached about the fact that if we ask Jesus, like what Edith was saying this morning, if we ask God, he will call us into deeper things. Peter asked, can I come out of the boat with, and stand on the water with you? He was the person who asked, God, I want to come with you. It was on him. It wasn't on God, but God allows him to come. And then I preached last Thursday night about the fact that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And Ezekiel sees the living water flowing out of the temple. That the living water flows from us as a people. And I was going to preach on something else. And, and God quickly changed my, um, my thoughts. So if you can go, if you have a Bible with you, go to Luke. I'm not going to tell you where in Luke yet because my notes haven't loaded properly. Luke 9, 57 verse 62. Google, Drive, Google Drive's letting me down again. I'm going to have to do this without my notes. You watch. May the Lord come. Hey Josh, can you can you just zip up to my office and rad into one with a capital R? Can you just see if my notes will print out of Google Drive? Thanks. Okay, are you with me? Luke 9, 57, verse 62. Luke 9, 57. 62, the cost of following Jesus. I'm going to read this and I'm going to break it down. I, I, I read through this verse and I've heard people quote this so many times in so many different ways. And I, was, I, I, I wrote it down on my whiteboard during the week and I was just sitting there saying, God, this doesn't make sense the way I've heard this. This is not, I don't think this is what, what it's supposed to be. I think there's something deeper here. And I feel God reveal something to me that I, I, I want to, I want to take the time in this morning. So I'm just going to read the verse and then, and then I'm going to preach point by point from it. So Luke 9, verse 57. 
As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back at it is fit for the kingdom of God. So the first thing that I, I, I see about this is, and I heard this the other day actually quite hilariously in that a current affair thing. This is not talking, the first point in this verse is not talking about finances. This verse is not saying that Jesus was poor. He says, I do not have anywhere to lay my head. But there's three followers in this story. And they're the way, that's the way I'm going to explain it this morning. There's three different people, three different areas of a life that Jesus is trying to give us something in. So you have to, when we read the scriptures, we have to do two things. And I, I say this often, but we have to remove those big, bold headings that are there. Because it wasn't written with big, bold headings. It was written as one letter or one piece of writing. So one carries on from the other. We like to read these as if they're, as if they're their own um, little stories. But, but it was actually one big story that Jesus was, was saying or that, that the author, that Luke, was, was writing in this. So when we see it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's an unusual thing to say. But if you just go up a little bit to Luke 9, 53, four points up. You can see it says this, but the people of Samaria did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So he was in a town, he was walking, he was on his way to Jerusalem. Obviously, they didn't understand why he was heading there, but he knew what he was going to do. But he was on his way through the town of Samaria, and no one would accept him because he wasn't there for them. He was there for a bigger cause, and they didn't like that. So then it comes down, and the first follower says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And the first point that Jesus says to him is, you couldn't even follow me when your town wouldn't accept me. I have nowhere to lay my head tonight and you wouldn't allow me into your house because the town wouldn't accept me. So this follower comes out to Jesus after he's clearly walked through the village and says, wait, 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 I'll come. And Jesus says to him, but you had your opportunity when I was in your village. I could have stayed with you. If you were willing to follow me, you should have gone against the status quo of your, of your uh, town and allowed me to stay with you but you didn't. You see, Jesus offers us things all the time. We'll come to meetings like this or, or go to bigger meetings and we'll say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But he gave you an opportunity earlier that you didn't take. See, what we want in the Christian world is that we want to go from nothing into having a big ministry or a big super thing. But all the way along our Christian walk, God gives us little bits and pieces to operate, to follow him in. That's what he was doing with the first follower. Who would take me in in this city? Who? Who will go against the status quo? On a, as a city, we've decided not to let you come in because your eyes are, are fixed somewhere else. Okay, no one in this city wants me to come and be with them. No. Then he moves on. Then when it's convenient for the first follower, he says, I'll come with you wherever you go. 
But he said, I gave you an opportunity there and you didn't take it. See, we have to understand the little bits and pieces that God gives us, the little areas that stretch us into our faith because we want God when it's convenient for us. We want to operate with the Father when it's convenient for us. But Jesus, in this first parable, uh, it says here, I mean, this has been added post-Jesus, but it says the cost of following Jesus. One of the costs of following Jesus is actually being able to, to walk with him when he says, will you walk with me? You're a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you. Oh, look at this. He's even got the right notes. What a champion. So we have to be willing. We have to be willing to step in those places. Does that make sense? It's not talking about finances. So when that current affair um, journalist said, yeah, but Jesus said that he had nowhere to lay his head. Yeah, well, he obviously didn't read two steps above where it said they wouldn't allow him to lay his head there. It wasn't that he couldn't afford it. It was that the city had said no. So he had to keep moving forward. That's the first follower. The first follower says to him, I will not, I won't follow you then, but I want to follow you when, when I want to follow you, whatever that looks like. The next follower, to another he said, follow me. Jesus says to him, follow me. And the second follower says this, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me go back to where I came from to bury my father. This is quite a brutal passage because Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I've heard this said that, that anything regarding your family, we shouldn't put in front of God. But I don't think God is against our family because it says that we should honor people. We should operate from a place of love. To me, it seems unloving that, God wouldn't let, that Jesus wouldn't let him go back and mourn with his family. But that's not what he's talking about here. There's a contextual understanding we have to work out is that when Jewish people would go into a time of mourning, it was for seven days. They would mourn the death of somebody for seven days. That was the tradition. Those seven days they would mourn. On the morning of the seventh day, they would bury their father or whoever it is that they were mourning and then they would go on with their duties except for if it was their father. If it was their father, they would bury their father and the sons would pick up the work of the father. They would live out the work of their father. So what this, the follower here is saying is he's saying, let me go home first, bury my father and then pick up his work in order to carry it on until I can pass it on to somebody else. The interesting thing is we see Jesus propose this earlier in the scriptures when he calls the, two, the first two disciples that he calls, Simon and Peter. No, Simon, Peter, Andrew, I think is the other one. I may get that wrong because it, it's not that I didn't get them. They didn't, that's, still my notes don't work, but that's okay. They didn't update, I don't know why. We see Jesus say this to the disciples where he says, follow me. They're out on a fisher boat with their fisherman boat with their father. And remember, I preached on this and I said that when the father saw the rabbi offer him another role other than picking up the work of the father, he would have been excited because there was only one role greater than doing the work of your father. That was following in the footsteps of a rabbi. But you see, this man's father's not here to celebrate with the son and say, go, of course. So the disciples, they get off their boat, they follow Jesus. Who helps with the work? The dad has to do it. He doesn't have two sons now. He has to go out and hire fishermen hands. In this case, 
The follower doesn't take into consideration the importance of the rabbi saying, come with me, become my disciple. He thinks back on the old way of thinking. He thinks back in the way of the world to say, no, I have to go home and work and finish my father's work. So in the context of today, often God will say, son, won't you do this? And we think to our own logical mindsets and we go, no, I can't operate in that because I have to go back to the way of the world. I have to work my nine to five. I have to, I have to work my way up in my company to get to the next position. I have to do this or I have to do that because that's what the world tells me I have to do. But Jesus says, come now, follow me and I'll lead you where you should go. He's not saying don't bury your father. If your father dies, please have a funeral for him. Bury him. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't go back to the way of the world and work the way the world's told you to work. Come my way and I'll show you a better way. Come and do what I'm positioning you to do and I promise you my life, your life will be better when I'm leading it. I've told this story many times, but it occurred to me while I was writing this sermon that Thankfully, I was able to do this when I finished uni, when I finished my undergraduate um, in, in criminology and I, I got offered the opportunity to go back and do honours. What I did was not, was not the way the world would have had me do it. It was contrary to the world. I left a, I think it's 45, I looked at it the other day, I owe $45,000 for that degree. I left that. I finished it. I got offered the next opportunity. I should have taken that, possibly done my master's, then gone into to working for the police. But I heard God's call, and in, in my... Thankfully, I had the ability to do this. I said, I'm not going to go the way of the world. I'm not going to go back and bury my father. God, I'm going to come with you. As, as wild as it is, as much as friends and family didn't understand it, because I went from a criminology degree into a, a sales position at a... Um, at a radio station and then into leading a church which was seeing me being incredibly underpaid because we just didn't have the money. That doesn't make sense. But I felt God say, follow me. So I did. And I think that's exactly what he's saying here. Don't go back to the work of your father. I've got something so much bigger for you. Leave those things behind. Leave those things exactly where they are. Let those things worry about those things. Let your father's work worry about your father's work. I've got something bigger for you. And the bigger I have for you is that the kingdom of God is at hand and I want you to proclaim it. So we, two, we see two, two things here. Say yes to the little things that God offers us. Let him in when the rest of the city won't. And then leave the things that God tells you to leave to operate in the things that he's telling you to operate in. And the final thing that he gives is another follower says, I will follow you. Kind of like they're in competition. Like, no, no, I've got my things covered. I'll follow you. He says, I'll follow you, but Lord, I don't know why he didn't learn from the first guy. Clearly God's not going to allow him to say this, but he says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus says to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, one of the most damaging things in a business is to have an employee who continually talks about their old job and how good that was. We used to do it so much better when I worked over there. 
We do it so much better and so much bigger. When, when I used to, when I used to, when this used to happen. Well, how about you operate in that now? The amount of people that I, I say to me, you know, when, when I used to go to this other church, I used to this and I used to that. They keep living from that place of, well, that's how I used to be. Yeah, but how you are now is not even a glimpse of what you say you used to be. So either you've regressed and you've actually gone backwards in your journey or you were never actually there in the first place. But what God's saying is that you're holding on to your plow, you're trying to work something out, but you keep looking back at something and you're not doing the work you should be because you're so focused at the things that are back there that you're now nowhere. So he's not saying you can't, you can't just say goodbye to your family. He's saying stop living in a place that I've called you out of and now called you into. We get to that place as Christians where we go, ah, oh, this church, it folded. It was the best church ever. You know, it was just so good. I loved it. So how are you now? Ah, oh, the one I'm in is not as good. Oh, it's just not, it's not what it used to be. We can't live like that as a people. We can't live in, what, in how our lives used to be. You see, we'll, we'll say to somebody who, who might have been a drug addict, hey, you're not there anymore. You've come through that. Now you're here. You don't have to look back there. But then when we do it to ourselves, we go, no, but I love living back there. You see, we can learn from the past. Is that Rafiki that says that? I think it is. Rafiki from Lion King? Oh, I wish I put that quote in. I didn't. We can learn from the past, but we can't live there. Because every moment we keep going back there, we're failing to actually look where we're plowing here. And we start getting off course because we're so focused on what's behind us. As a people, as Christians, as, as faith-living people, we have to keep saying, God, where are you sending me? Where am I going? What have you got for me out there? Because when we, when we do that, we step Step after step after step after step in the direction that he leads. Jesus says that I'm a lantern unto your feet. Have you ever lit a lantern? It's not very bright. It probably gives you a meter in front of you. We can see just in front of us. When we look back, there's no light behind us. It's all in front of us. The lantern leads us forward. God's leading us forward into something bigger. So when the follower says, well, can I come with you? I just want to go back first. I think what Jesus was doing here was he was saying, no, because you'll always want to go back. You'll always want to be back there. And you know, I've found that with people, that when they lived in their glory days, they were always in their glory. You ever play on a sports, a sports team with the old boys? And all the old boys, they live in their glory days. There's a guy who plays basketball on a Friday night. Love him to pieces. He's an absolute gaggle of geese. His name's Monster and he's about... They call him monster because he's about this tall and he's in his 70s, mid-70s. Every Friday he's there. But he plays old school basketball. He plays 40 years ago basketball where there was like different rules and, and all kinds of things. But he, was, he, he played for Australia, I think, didn't he? He's a good basketball player. But he'll tell you about his glory days. You don't even have to ask him. You walk in, monster, I'll tell you something, son, come here. But he lives back there. It doesn't improve his game to now because things have moved, things have changed. There's different rules. And you always say, oh, you couldn't do that back in the good old days or oh, that wouldn't be a foul back in the good old days. Well, newsflash, we're not in the good old days anymore. 
There's something different happening here. We see this a lot when guys, when they talk about moves of God. Oh, when, when, when God was moving. So God's not moving now? If only I could go back to that, that building and that city because that was the anointed city. So this city can't be anointed? You didn't learn anything that you can apply here? You can't carry anything across? You can't walk into a people and go, I have so much knowledge from the past. Where can you put my hands? Where can I, where can I plow for you guys? What can I do for you? You see, our past is important because it trains us. But our future is the thing that God's calling us into. And one of the saddest things for me is to see people in churches who have an incredible past who refuse to work now because it doesn't look like how it looked back then. I have one more basketball analogy because it just popped into my head. There was a guy on Friday night who was playing on a team and I had to bite my tongue a lot because his team was not very good. And he was whinging and whining and complaining all the time. He wasn't playing very good either, but his team wasn't very good. And he passed the ball to a guy and the guy missed the shot. So he went and sat down. And he said, I'm not going to defend because you guys aren't playing how I want you to play. And he sat down. And those of you who know, on Friday nights when I play basketball, I don't like to lead. I like to just be an Indian. It's a place where I can just go and not say anything and just play basketball. And I almost said something. I thought, no, we might have to wrestle if I say something. But I thought to myself, bro, your job as a good basketball player with the skills and the, and the things that you've learned is to make your team better. A good leader will gather his team, regardless of its skill level, will gather its team and will put them in a place that he knows they can operate. See, he, he kept looking back at, oh, if I had a better team like I had last week, then we, will, we would be winning. But he couldn't gather his skills, apply it to the team he had, and then get the W. That's what Jesus is saying here in this moment. Don't go back. Don't go back. Keep coming forward. Change with the times that are changing. Change as you see things changing. As I call you into more, change into more, and I'll give you more. When we were in the States, my, my Jess's great-grandfather, who's 93, operated his smartphone better than I did. He, I said, I said, Pop Pop, how do you know, how do you know where, how that's, where that's happening? He says, I saw it on the phone. And he whips his phone out, goes to the news, and he scrolls, he goes, this story here, boom, shows it to me. And I went, oh my goodness. He says, oh, I'll show you something. He gets this app out I'd never seen before, scrims through all the things, and then he's got all this information about, about this mining stuff, because he was a mining tycoon. He was writing while I was there a proposal to explain to 150 of the world's top miners he was going to give the presentation, 92 years old. He refuses to look back. He only is looking forward to say, what is next? I'll learn it. I'll do better. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to a place where he says, come with me. Come with me forward and I'll show you more. So the three things, the three followers, the little things. Do what God's calling you into. Do the little things, the little yeses. Go where he says to go. Allow him in. This world is becoming more and more and more and more against Christianity. We think Israel Folau was, was the end. Israel Folau is the beginning of something bigger. We are getting, it's going to be harder and harder to be a follower of Jesus. 
And you know, I don't want that, and I hope we can get out of that. But it'll wake this nation up. Some of the biggest moves of God are happening in, in some of the countries that have, have no ability to worship Christ. The underground churches in China are thriving. They are so much bigger, so much more powerful, so much operating in the spirit. Why? Because the people are hungry to say yes, regardless of what it means. They're rocked out of their comfort. They're rocked into a place of, of yes, Christ. I say yes to you in the little things. Let him stay in your home, even when the city doesn't want him to. The second thing, leave your father's work behind. Leave the way the world's told you to. If you're, if you're stretched for relationship because you work too much, cut your work back. But Ben, how do I provide? You, you will read the scriptures and say, God's your provider. Let's learn to be a people who says, I believe, God, that you'll provide for me. You're calling me into more community. I'll step back from things that I've, I've, the world's telling me I need to do. But if I step back, I won't have that promotion. But God will call you into that promotion if that's where he wants you to be. You see, we pull back from people. We pull back from the church. We pull back from Christ in order to forward ourselves in the world. And the thing we keep telling ourselves, the big lie we keep saying is, but one day I'll have the time. When I get there, when our company becomes a million-dollar company, when I become X, when I become Y, when I get that job I'm chasing, guess what? When that time comes, there'll be something bigger and something bigger and something bigger. Until it all comes crashing down and people come back and they say, I don't know what went wrong. I don't know what went wrong. Your eyes were on something else. You were focused somewhere else. You were so focused on having your father's work be completed that you failed to follow who I was. And the final thing in this verse is, is that Jesus says, don't go and say goodbye. Don't look back. Stay on your path. Stay where God's calling you to stay. Stay walking forward. Stay operating out of who he is. Stay, God, what's next? What's the next thing? What's the next little thing? Until you, you go all the way down and you go, wow, God's called me so far. I've done so much. Does that make sense? I'm going to go here before we finish. Go to Revelation 3 with me. Revelation 3, 14 to 22. I think these two verses are the two biggest wake-up calls to us as a people. The two biggest things that, that, that God's calling us into in this moment to be, to be bigger, to be more effective, to be more understanding of who he is and what he's doing. And this is a, a Jesus speaking uh, through John who saw the vision to the church in Lacedaemon. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Lacedaemon write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. What that you were, either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, 
I will spit you out of my mouth, for you say I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may, so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This verse, when I first was told this verse, I was, I was in youth, and it was a verse that, the guy who was preaching used to ensure that I came to more events and got to church. He said, if you're a lukewarm Christian, God doesn't want you. And I remember hearing that and going, oh, that doesn't make any sense because God loves me and I can't do anything wrong. But if I don't put him first, I become lukewarm. He's going to hate me and I don't get to come back. And I, I remember wrestling with this as a kid and walking away going, well, I... This verse was almost a verse that made me not want to follow God because it didn't make any sense until I grew up a little and started to learn the scriptures for myself and I come across this verse and I thought, right, God, there's got to be something bigger than this. I've got to be missing something. And turns out I was. And a lot of people know this, but I want to just break it down for us because I think it's important. But again, you have to look at the context of a scripture. You have to understand what was happening at the time because these scriptures weren't written on an iMac in a cafe sipping lattes. They were written from an ancient Hebraic time with a culture that was different to now. So we have to read it with an ancient Hebraic understanding so that we can then bring it to here and go, okay, this is what God's saying to us here and now. In the time, in the town of Lacedia, to the north, there was a... A, a town or a place called Hierapolis, and it had these massive hot springs, healthy hot springs, similar to what we see in a lot of different nations that we still have today in New Zealand. I know in South Africa there's some, some really great big hot springs. So they had these, these hot springs in this town north. To the south of Lacedaemon was a town called Colossae, and it had cold springs. But and they would they would use these cold springs surrounding to drink from to replenish the body. The hot springs in the north were used to heal the body. So if you were hurt, if you if you had cuts and scrapes, or you had muscle or joint pain, they would say to you, "Go and lay in the hot springs because it heals your body. The heat allows your body to recover." So in the north they had. They had these hot springs, and in the south, they had these fresh, clean pools. And in the middle, in Lacedaemon, they had no water. So they had to channel the water from somewhere else. So they had these big, um, I had to Google this because I didn't even know what this was. I'm sure Mal's going to laugh at me. But they had these big um, things called aqueducts. I thought that Southport aqueduct was just because they like ducks. No, it's a play on, <laughs> hey, look at us learning. It's a play on words. They had these aqueducts and they would funnel the water, the channel, the cold water into Lacedaemon. But the problem was that if they got mixed, if there was something that went wrong and the, the channels collided, it took the hot, healthy water and the cold spring water and it made it lukewarm, which was good for nothing. 
wasn't hot enough to heal the body and it wasn't cold enough to drink. It actually made you sick. You ever drank seawater? Right? It makes you want to vomit because the salt and, and the coolness mixed together makes you want to be sick. That word spit you out of your mouth. The word spit actually means vomit. That God will vomit you out of his mouth. But the thing that I think we miss and the thing that I missed as a kid was that it's an involuntary action. That it's actually the water making God sick that makes him spew it out. He's not saying, I don't want you, get out of me. He's saying, you're making my body sick. So I'm going to vomit you out because I have to. So it completely shifts the way that we see this first. God's not saying, hey, if you don't come to church two Sundays in a row, I'm going to spit you out. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is this. If you are neither hot and healing to the body, nor cold and refreshing to the body, you're actually making my body sick. So when you take that from a place of people coming into the house of God and making the body sick, you ever gone to a church and you go, something, there's something there that's just, I can't be there anymore. Something's making me feel irky. There's something not right. I bet 10 to 1 there's somebody who's lukewarm in that building that's making the body sick. You see, we talk about the body, we understand it as the body of Christ, but when God speaks in a way of my body, we misinterpret that. But he's speaking about the body of Christ. He's speaking about this, us gathering together. And he's saying, if you come lukewarm, if you come where you're hurting my body, you will make me sick and I'll vomit you out. When you watch big churches that you think are doing really well and you think, wow, this thing's amazing. And all of a sudden, comes crashing down. It's because God, it made my body sick that I vomited you out. I was, I was made ill by you. And we have the ability as a people to make that happen. I think what God's actually saying to the church in Lacedaemon is, you're corrupting my body. You're making me sick. And as a people, I think that's a warning to us to go, God, I do not want that. How am I making the body sick? If I am, help me. That's challenging, huh? Because for me, I look at that and I go, God, what is it that I've done? How can I not make your body sick? How can I operate in who you are? And it says that they will be my disciples. They will know that they're my disciples through the way that they what? Love each other. What is it that's making the body sick? A lukewarmness in our love. When we can't love one another, we can't operate in who he he is. See, God's created his body to work so powerfully and to heal a nation and then the nations. How can we do that if the body's sick? We can't. We can't go out to heal a nation. We can't go out to, to drive out demons, to push back the gates of darkness when we're sick. You ever tried to go to work when you've got chronic man flu or flu it's hard it starts here we become powerful here in the way that we operate through the body of christ and make it well so how do we so in my last two minutes that i have before i finish how do we change that i'm going to preach on this more but i want to share something with you The reach of God's presence is transformational in nature. We change the climate that people live under by the way we operate in his love. We see this played out in Pentecost when the Spirit falls 
on 120 people. It completely changed the appetite of an entire city that only, only days earlier had risen up to crucify Jesus. That city just crucified Jesus. They are angry at the move of Christ. They are, they are cranky about what's happened. The Romans are cranky that there's disunity. 120 people, all nations under heaven, come into a room. The Holy Spirit falls. It changes everything. They walk out and the atmosphere around them changes. Because the power of God moved through them into the nation that they were going into. You see, when we truly operate, like I was saying, from the temple courts of God, allowing His Spirit to flow through us, the world around us begins to change. We stop making people sick and we start making people healthy through the heat that He gives us. We start refreshing people through the coolness of the drink that they can have and we build them up into something bigger. Although I wish I had have been able to to preach more to that guy from Gumtree. I'm so encouraged that the fact that my life was able to change his life just by having the Holy Spirit flow through me. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm actually saying that so as a people we can understand this is so much easier than it looks. This is so much easier that when we begin to actually understand, okay, my job out there is to be the image bearer of Christ and to look like he looks and to just allow my life to flow through into those around me. How do I do that? Through the little things that I said this morning. We say the little yeses. We don't go back to the place of of our Father's work, and we don't keep looking back. We look forward into what God has for us. We allow our lives to be the hot, refreshing spring or the cool, refreshing drink. We don't allow those two things to mold and make this place sick because from here, we go out there. I wanted to put above the door, but it, still trying to get it through the, uh, design, the design king, my wife. I wanted to put above that door, go, therefore, and make disciples. Go. Go out of here. Because when we leave here, that's where the work begins. But... If this is unhealthy, if we are unhealthy, we can't do anything out there because we keep coming back here to try and fix something. Does that make sense? Does anyone have any questions? Happy to take a question. No? Got to think about it. Bev, you got a question? You got to think about it. I am challenged by this, guys. I know I say this all the time, but when I write these sermons, I'm not coming from a place of I've got this nailed. I'm constantly going back to God and saying, what, what do I do better? How do we, how, God, how do, I, how do I heal people the way you heal people? Not just in how we lay hands and see a guy's back get healed, but, but how, do I, how do I heal someone who just needs to be loved on? How do I heal someone who doesn't have enough money to pay their bills and I can't give them any money, but I, I, I want to be there for them? That's how we begin as a people to grow and be nourished into who he is. Is that okay? Let me pray. Maybe I should lose my notes more often. <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. God, we pray this morning not just to, to segue us out of your word into some snacks, Father, but because we genuinely want to hear from you, God. Because we genuinely want to be with you. We genuinely want to exalt your name and worship you. You are so worthy, Jesus. 
I pray this morning, God, that you show us, reveal to us in our week as we go about our our lives how we step into more of you, how we turn down the world and step into who you are and what you're calling us into. God, make us bold like ferocious lions. Make us bold, God, to stand in the gap for you, to fight where you've asked us to fight and to rest where you've asked us to rest. God, may we truly be image bearers of you, carrying who you are into the place that's never seen you before. May people see Jesus in our eyes. God, we ask all of this to glorify your name, not to give us a big ministry, Father, not to, to, to give us some sort of fame and, and attraction, God, but because you, are, you deserve everything that we have. So we ask this in your glorious name, God. Come and have your way with us. Come and have your way with every heart here this morning. We love you, God. We honor you, Jesus. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.